Welcome to Every Dimension. This podcast is created for those buying and selling design. Our aim is to explore how to demand more from design and how to deliver it, as we all need to keep growing brands when tomorrow's challenges and opportunities come in every dimension. Every Dimension is created by the Agency Path and hosted by me, a founder, Thomas Herman. Hello, welcome to another edition of Every Dimension, Demand More from Design. Uh, this time we are joined by Catherine Conway. Catherine, hello. Hello, hello. hello. Hi. Catherine is a founder of Unpackaged and also chief convener of um, the Refill Coalition. Um, but before we go into detail, Catherine, I've got some quick fire questions for you just to kind of warm us up. You ready for that? Yep, ready. Good. So are you a coffee or a tea person? Both. Both. Nice. Depends on the time of day. Yes. Okay, cool. But actually on balance, a lot more tea. Really? Okay. Yeah. All the cups of tea. <laughs> Cheese or chocolate? Oh, both. Oh, man. I'm finding this. These questions are hard to, to, to split. Beer or wine? Wine. Good. Mountains or beach? Beach. Always. Nice. Always. Not even, never a mountain. Oh, I like a mountain. I love the heat. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mac or PC? Oh, begrudgingly, Mac. Begrudgingly. Interesting. <laughs> They just, they took over my life and now I have, now I can't go back. Yeah. Okay. I get you. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Art or science? I mean, both, but I probably lean to art. Yeah. Are you from a, you, do you feel more art? Yes. Because I was that age of kids where they, you had to be. One or the other. One yeah. or the other. Yeah. yeah. I hope yeah. they don't do that to kids anymore. Yeah. I'm not sure I have to check it out. Yeah. But so, but science is in your life too. It is, but I'd studied languages, so I've always been on the kind of art side of things. Um, recycle or reuse? Reuse. Nice. Packaged or unpackaged? Oh, pa- unpacked. <laughs> Good stuff. Sorry, but trick questions at the end. Great. Well, um, thanks for that. Just to, um, we'll, we'll get on to unpackaged and uh, what your role is there and your objectives in a minute. So you can tell us more about that. But I was always interested to know, or am interested to know, where people start their careers. So so can you tell us perhaps what your very first job was and then how it got to where you are now? So my first job, I think I did a shift in my local news agent, but it didn't last obviously for much more than that. My first proper job was in Hobbs, the clothes shop. I folded a lot of jumpers. And then I got in with my local pub who had four pubs. And then I spent all of my summers, university, straight out of university working in those pubs, which I loved. I absolutely loved it. So retail and hospitality from a very, very early. Yeah, probably more hospitality. My mum's a chef. So I've kind of always been around pubs, restaurants, hotels. Fantastic. And so I love it. I I think everyone should have to be a waiter or a waitress. It's probably a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. Just to kind of give you a bit of perspective on, on life. But to be fair, I always chose to do it when people, when everybody went and did work experience at school, my friend and I went to my aunt's pub in Wiltshire and spent a week helping her run weddings and cleaning rooms and stuff. I just, I never had any interest of going into an office. 
I just like being with people and talking yeah. and, <laughs> like... and hospitality. I mean, what's not to love about hospitality? Being hospitable. Exactly. Yeah. I love talking. <laughs> yes. That's why I'm doing this. Why you do a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking to people, listening to people as well, hopefully. Great. So so is that kind of a seed of how you got to where you are now? Then what were the kind of steps? No, no, not at all. I did Spanish. So Spanish is my absolute love and Spanish and Spain and speaking Spanish and Latin America. I actually did a Spanish degree. I w- went to LSE to do a master's in Latin American politics. I thought I was going to go into politics and human rights. Right. And working in charities is sort of really what I wanted to do is I always wanted to work in the third sector so anything kind of socially minded but there was very little Latin American related charity work over here which I have a feeling is probably to do with probably the history of colonialism and things so if you look at a lot of the work that happens here it tends to be Africa and Asia and then a lot of the work that happens in America tends to be Latin America so I kept trying to get jobs in this uh, or in sustainability actually I would have worked in sustainability and travel and just really struggled and so I started working I think at that point I, so I was a Londoner before I moved out of London and I think I also wondered why I was trying to do things all the way around the world when there was plenty of local need in London so I started working in local charities but quite often with a sort of business so working with businesses and supporting how they work within charities so I think I've always been interested between kind of how business and society interact with each other that's probably the kernel of it is I don't think there's any point in running businesses unless you're doing something useful for the society within it Um, plenty of people would disagree with me so I think there's always been this sort of interaction between yeah sort of charity and business so that led me to the concept of social enterprise which is the idea that you can set up a business that has a social or environmental aim at its core and to me is an interesting way of trying to solve social problems because otherwise the alternative is is you have to keep going and asking for funding so a lot of the NGOs that I've worked with you know have massive funding crises so you've got all these incredible people that work for them they do a project for three years and then they pretty much have to go and fundraise for their own salary which is not a great way to create long-term change So I suddenly got involved with this whole crew of people through the hub in Angel, which was this amazing shared co-working office space where everybody was doing something interesting from a social enterprise perspective. And I remember one day having this idea for Unpackaged and saying to my best friend, if I did this idea that I've got with Unpackaged, I think it would be really good for me personally because I'd find a place because I suppose I hadn't really found a place in my career And it would be really good for the world because I think the world needs this thing, which is this shop with no packaging. And she said, great, go for it. And I was about 27 or 28 and I didn't have a mortgage or kids or anything complicated. So I was like, yeah, great, I'll do it. Knowing nothing, you know, I wasn't a packaging technologist or anything. I just, uh, and so that's how Unpackaged started. Okay, well, and is that again, was it the kind of being with people and and the sort of the the retail hospitality piece there that that sort of maybe got your attention no, it was, no, it was, it, what got my attention is, is that I used to go to a health food shop. So I was living in Bethnal Green. I used to go to a health food shop to refill my Ecova cleaners. And I'd have to buy all the dry goods in uh, plastic. And I lived in a flat 
in Hackney above a cafe and so there were mice everywhere as they always are in Hackney it was a very nice flab <laughs> there were definitely mice and so they kept eating their way through my packets so I suddenly started having to put everything in jars and I just remember very vividly one day there coming home from the shop putting having to like undo all of this packaging for all of this dry goods putting it all in jars and thinking this is crazy if I can go and refill Ecova products why can't I go and refill it why isn't there a shop where you can refill everything right right okay and so I told a few people about it and then my mum phoned me up and when I woke up in the middle of the night and I know what it needs to be called, it needs to be called Unpackaged. And I was like, yeah, you're right, mum, it really does. <laughs> um, and a friend of mine worked for a charity called Social Enterprise London, which was all about trying to promote social enterprises. And he said, uh, when people like you have got ideas like this, we always tell them to go and set up a market stall and try it out. So I got a very small grant of like £4,800, I think. And I set the market stall up on that. And then I ran that and that led to the shops and then I was away. Okay, cool. And then how's it turned into what the the business is or the project is today? Well, I had one shop and it was too small. So I moved to a bigger shop and I added on a restaurant and we did not deliver. The restaurant was meant to be like silo in hackney if anyone's ever been to it which started off in brighton which is this incredible zero waste restaurant run by doug and his just his commitment to zero waste is just amazing um in the fact that the amount of things that he makes he manages to make so that he doesn't have to buy things in in packaging we did not execute it (laughs) in the way that he uh, has executed it so the second shop went under so that point i was about eight um eight years in and i I just sat back. I had six months off because it had been a really painful going insolvent is really, really painful. And I'd lost my money. I'd lost some family money. It was it was a really painful thing to go through. And then I also hadn't solved the problem. This is the problem with being a social entrepreneur. If your enterprise fails, not only have you probably had a financial hit, but then you've also not solved the, the mission that you were trying to do. So you feel doubly awful. So I kind of had six months off and then I thought, well, I still haven't solved the problem. And I'd kept all of the hoppers. I I bought them off the insolvency company and put them all in storage. And I'd been talking to Planet Organic for years saying, you guys need to have a bulk section because they really did. They never had one. And so Peter, the ex-CEO of um, Planet Organic said, right, you come in and set it up for us and we'll have a branded unpackaged section. Uh, And it was just the perfect meeting of they needed help and I wanted to reboot Unpackage, but I didn't actually want to go back to running a shop because it's hard. It's just really hard. And I think I'd come into it with all of these convoluted ideas that I was going to, you know, end up with a chain of independent stores. And I was somehow going to both tackle packaging as well as, you know, revive the high street and all of these kind of things. And I just realized that actually I have to work with supermarkets. That's where 98 plus percent of the population um, shops and that's where the majority of the single use plastic packaging is coming from so the planet project and we're still partners today and we've got um, concessions in most of their stores um, has been really really fruitful they're a wonderful company to work with and we helped them really drive a whole kind of zero waste agenda within their business whilst also understanding how to do kind of consultancy in other people's businesses for unpackaged so slowly through that we've become consultants so we now go into other people's businesses retail retailers brands big logistics companies small independent so I used to have a whole series of workshops for people sending up setting up independent zero waste stores so it's any way of using our skills and knowledge to help other businesses 
transition from single-use packaging to reusable packaging. Okay, amazing. So is that the majority of the business now? Is it more of a consultancy? So yeah, we are predominantly consultancy, but then we do research on the side as well. So there's two parts to this equation. So one is the commercial necessity of getting refill and reuse. In a minute, let's talk about reuse and just, I mean it in the wider sense of the word. I don't just mean coming and bringing your own containers to refill. So there's an absolute need for businesses to just get reuse and refill out there so people can see it, engage with it, and we can start normalizing it again. But then at the same time, there's a huge policy piece because the whole environment is set up really to support single-use packaging. And actually, unless we change some of the regulatory framework and also the economics around it because there is a cost to single-use packaging so we've engineered a whole supply chain around single-use packaging it's very cheap for everybody involved except for when it comes to disposal so at the minute the way the system works business pays about 10 percent of the cost of disposal of all the single-use packaging and you and i pay for it so everybody who's saying we don't pay for it yeah we do we pay for it through our council tax and we pay for it in the pollution to our earth, which pollutes us. You know, it, we know that we are finding microplastics in babies, fish, our human bodies, water. I mean, it, it's everywhere and it will slowly poison us. So um, we are paying for it. And actually we need to change that, you know, in the same way that we need to transition away for subsidies for fossil fuels and all of the, all of the things that aren't helping us achieve net zero. We need to change the regulatory framework and we need to change the kind of fiscal environment uh, to support reuse because we actually have to do a whole infrastructure change to make reuse scalable. So yeah, so we're mainly consultants, but then we have this research and policy angle where I guess the campaigning comes through. Okay. And and from sort of past conversations I've heard, you mentioned you, you did or, or you still do sell sort of modules and, and sort of pods and parts of the process of, of selling unpackaged goods? No, we did that. We stopped that. So we tried to, so we were trying to, it's all about how we package up our skills and knowledge for people. And one of the ways we tried to do it was by attaching it to equipment and having a sort of a 15 dispenser branded unit that was really beautifully designed and come into my relationship with sign in a minute that could just be sort of plugged and played into uh, various independent so farm shops food halls things like that so it was kind of premium premium food stores uh, we started it like many things you know we were the first zero waste modern zero waste shop now there are lots and I love it Similarly, we were the first people trying to do these uh, units into farm shops and then various equipment companies started competing with us and could all do it cheaper. So it just became a part of the business that I loved doing because I loved going out and working on the shop floor with our partners, but it made it just didn't make any financial sense. So we stopped doing that last year. So there's a few retailers that still have some of our units, but we know we don't do that anymore. It's it's knowledge, knowledge and as a service, really. Yeah, no, I understand. Thanks for that. Yeah, there's some really good lessons in there. I think, you know, that kind of general approach when you started out, you know, to, to get a market stall and try the idea out, you know, I think that's, that's a real design thinking kind of philosophy, you know, do learn, do learn, you know, just, yeah, get something out there and, and with the real public as quickly as possible and get real feedback get it out of the the, the, the boardroom or the focus group and and, and and test and learn and all these things that you've been doing and and sort of trimming the kind of project towards the thing that kind of really works but sharing the knowledge on the way so yeah that's um good good story to hear that that's fantastic so 
I kind of understand, and perhaps you can talk to this, that, you know, the, the, the brand is unpackaged, but actually the, biz, the business or the enterprise has moved sort of towards this kind of transition towards or away from single-use packaging and towards reusable packaging. And you've just published something, a paper or been part of a paper called A Just Transition to Reusable Packaging. Is that is that kind of fair summary of, of where the enterprise is now, is, is, is supporting that kind of movement? Yeah, so I think... You know, it's when you try and remember what your mission statement is. Um, we're always too busy working to spend a lot of time writing mission statements. I mean, we first we first focused on refill because back in the day when I started, which is 16 years ago now, circular economy wasn't really a thing. Reusable packaging wasn't really a thing. Like none of it was a thing. Zero waste wasn't a thing. Um, so really, the only way that I could sort of to use a modern word, hack food out of the supply chain and sell it to people with no packaging was to go direct to the supplier. So my mum, who was who's been an integral part of this business, she uh, used to go about once a month down to Borough Market and sort of take sacks down with her. And our linseed woman would put the linseed seeds in there, and we'd buy the fudge and all of these things direct from the suppliers. Now things have significantly moved on, which is brilliant. And now there's a whole kind of community around us of people who also do zero waste. And so now when we talk about reuse. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation, um, who are Googleable everywhere, who've done a brilliant book on reuse, they sort of broke it down into four areas of reuse. So you've got refill on one side and reuse on the other. So refill, so you've got kind of four areas. So refill at home is effectively a mother and baby pack. So some sort of pouch that you're filling into a durable bottle that you're going to keep at home, probably made out of metal or glass. The problem with those is they're a bit of a fake solution for a lot of the big brands because the pouch, yes, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers here, has less plastic in it, but is all totally unrecyclable plastic because it's a pouch and it's probably multi-layered, laminate, et cetera, et cetera. So there are companies like the Bauer Collective who are doing reusable pouches and they've worked out how to reuse them. So when refill at home is done properly, it's brilliant because you can send things out in a pouch. The people, the consumer sends the pouch back flat so you're not transporting air. So there's some clever design around that, but it also beware of it when big brands are doing it. Then you've got refill on the go, which is what we've worked in a lot, which is, you know, customers bringing their own container down in some way, shape or form to fill up from some sort of bulk dispenser in a store. Then on the other side, you've got reuse at home, which is more of a model like Loop have just done with, with a lot of big brands, which is pre-filled. So it is a reusable container that comes with the product filled into it to your home, or you could buy it in store if you were part of the Tesco trial. Um, and then re reuse on the go, which is you pick up a reusable coffee cup from McDonald's or Burger King or somewhere, and then you drop it back. So it's not your reusable coffee cup that you're bringing. So I think the reason I say that is because there's four areas of reuse and then many more that we may not have even thought about yet. And it's not about one size fits all. So it's not all we need to go back to the 70s and everybody's refilling oats from a hopper. It's not about that. It's just saying in what circumstances could we transition from single use to reuse? We are not anti-plastic per se we're anti-single use because it's about resource conservation and it's about not using valuable resources for short life products like packaging and then having to incinerate them or landfill them. So that's really where we stand. But the research that we do on the side, we were just commissioned to do that piece, the just transition to reasonable packaging. And that to me is some really, it fits into a load of thinking. There's a load of thinking called Three Horizons, Thinking, which I think came out of Kate Rayworth's uh, Donut Economics book. And it's all about 
how you imagine a different future and how you engage the people. So if you've got a technology that you effectively want to die, also in air quotes, whether that's fossil fuels or single-use packaging, you have to recognise that there's a load of both vested interests and also people, people, communities, cultures, who are based in those industries. And if you just try and get rid of them, well, A, they're gonna fight like hell, but also you have to take care of people. So you have to work out how to create new technologies and bring people with you. So the just transition fits into this. So the just transition is the concept that the best way to describe it is not what happened to the miners. So we shut down coal mines and destroyed communities. What you actually have to do is transition if you were doing that now you would be transitioning people some really good examples from the Shetlands and things about how they have transitioned away from fossil fuel based energy systems into renewables and taken workers with them so taken workers for business so there's huge opportunities for business in the transition but you have to really look after people so we were commissioned to do a report looking specifically at what a just transition means for reusable packaging and it will mean job losses in some areas, but then job creation in other areas. We weren't, initially, we would have loved to have done a quantitative piece on it, i.e. how many jobs, so that we could actually prove that there's huge amounts of jobs um, available within the reuse space, but that the data just isn't there yet. So it was more of a qualitative look at what the opportunities might be for, for workers and businesses out of this transition to reusable packaging. Yeah, no, that, I thought that was, when I read it, you know, I thought that was that was great to see that, you know, so much of the conversation is driven by the environment and, and um, you know, our kind of awareness of, of what resource, of how resources affect the environment and packaging, you know, how that's sort of a, a visible kind of effect on, 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 on the environment. But actually the project you're talking about, yeah, it kind of, it, it highlights all the other elements that, that might be affected there, the society and economics and, and work and, and business and all those kind of things that that sees the sees the behavior change as a whole kind of system which I think is really important isn't it to um... well this is um what I found out when I opened Unpackaged I thought I was setting up a shop to do with reducing packaging and I suddenly realized that I was touching on so many more issues I was touching on equalities in food, nutrition, um, cost of living, which is obviously really pertinent now, um, how people cook, changing social behaviours. You know, if you think we don't now have women at home who are doing a monthly shop and then planning their meals and cooking, you know, that society has changed, right? And single use hastened a lot of that change and helped a lot of people get out of situations they may not have wanted to be in sitting at home cooking. But we just, it's not, the solution for the future it may have served us well momentarily but it it's not the solution for a growing population on a planet limited by resources okay that's great so yeah we've kind of got an idea of, of um what you're involved in and the kind of objectives where where do you see this going and, and, and kind of how's the progress and, and kind of what what's the what's the sort of big opportunity or the and the big barrier or what's the next step you know what what how do you see this i guess solution uh, coming to life so the next step is well we have a lot of focus on recyclability because we have a recycling system so if you want to focus on reuse you need a reuse system right so we have just put in some funding to get a research project off the ground that I'm really excited about which says so if you talk to NGOs well everybody did want a lot of change by 2025 but we're two years away from that and it's not going to happen so everybody is now if you were really pushing this you would say we need to switch 
at least 30% of our groceries, food to go. So just think, you know, all the supermarkets, all of the eating out, all of that, you know, your preps, your itsus, all of that. We need to switch 30, a minimum of 30% over to reuse by 2030 if we're even going to tackle this. And some may say that wouldn't even help because it's projected to grow so much anyway. Um, if you do just account for the UK and just supermarkets of the 56 billion items they sell a year, that would mean something in the order of 365 million containers, reusable containers a week that we need to sell to people, get back, clean and redistribute around the system. Doesn't really matter whether 365 is the right number or not. It's a lot. And that needs a whole infrastructure of washing facilities, lorries, packaging designers to design differently. Like it's a whole, it's a whole shift, right? And I don't think it's going to be achieved by a nice trial here and a pilot there and a startup doing this. You know, it's all so important, the work that everybody's doing right now. But actually, we need government to align behind, you know, they have a net zero strategy. They need a reuse strategy. So we are trying to be part of a movement of painting a picture of what that infrastructure might need to be. Now, my point is, is that we are extremely well equipped to do this because we already have everything we need. We have recycling lorries that move rubbish around that could be retrofitted to move reusables around. We have lots of supermarket delivery lorries that go backwards and forwards between distribution centers. We have washing facilities. I mean, we've got all this stuff. We have super clever packaging designers who can design reusable packaging. We've got plastics manufacturers that can manufacture reusable packaging. We've got all of this stuff. We just need to start putting together a vision of how all of these different bits of the supply chain could work together to do it. So that's sort of, that's the, the big vision that Unpackage is turning its attention to. The thing we're doing right now is the refill coalition. So this is uh, Morrison's, Waitrose, M&S, and Ocado working together with CHEP, who are a, a large um, logistics company, to redesign the refill hoppers that you see in store uh, into both a, an online and an in-store version um, that are standardized. So it's basically taking the beer keg concept that these um, hoppers would be redesigned to withstand the rigors of the supply chain uh, but they would also be unbranded so that anybody can use them and we we are trying to build a system that is also based on open source principles so the inter so obviously if you imagine a vessel that goes around the supply chain it obviously needs some sort of nice frontage in store for the branding and all these kind of in the same way that you have a beer keg and then a nice branded beer uh, tap in store so there's lots of different parts of the system you've got to be able to weigh it you've got to, be able to label it all of these things so what we're saying is, is that there, if we were to consider them all to be modules within a system, the open standards that would be published is the interoperability between them. So what size is the vessel? What size is the aperture? What cap goes on it? Then you've got loads of people in the supply chain that are already doing brilliant things that can come in and compete, but everybody competes within the same standardization of a system. So everybody just incrementally makes the system better rather than trying to come in with a different, you know, you don't want a vessel that's a different shape. There's a reason pallets work, right? So if you want to design a new pallet, you can do that. And if you think you've got a better pallet company than the next person, you can do that. But you're going to have to design a pallet that fits the dimensions of a pallet because the entire system runs on that. So that's what we're trying to do for reusable packaging. And those companies that we're working with have privately funded this 
to get it so far. And now it's being supported by Innovate UK, which is a, an arm of the government that supports innovation to help in achieve our industrial strategy, one of one part of which is the reduction of single-use um, plastics. And like hats off to them. They are, you know, competitive businesses that have chosen to work together because they know the industry needs some standardized reusable packaging to really make this fly. So yeah, so it, it's a really challenging project, but it's really valuable because I think, you know, as far as I can see, it's the first example in the world of a group of competitive businesses collaborating to try and create this kind of industry shift. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, you know, we've got all the, the, the pieces in place, we've got all the, all the skills in place. So what, what is the challenge? What's, what's, why has this not happened yet? There's probably lots of reasons why it hasn't happened. It was nobody's problem. The The plastic went somewhere. It just went somewhere. We exported it. It was great. Someone burnt it. No one had to pay for it. You know, the, the, the retailers didn't have to pay for it. The brands didn't have to pay for it. We passed the cost on to local authorities. Happy days. But, you know, even this government that is not known for adding red tape to business can see that this is, you know, no local authorities have got any money at the minute for even the important things like social care, let alone, you know, reducing weight. There was an, a brilliant columnist called Deborah Orr who used to write for The Guardian, who sadly passed away, and she was absolutely brilliant. And she once wrote a column and she mentioned packaging and she said this thing that was, we've privatised the profits of packaging and socialised the costs of it. And actually that's that's true for so many, so many different areas of, of environmentalism. But um, it always stuck in my brain and that's the problem. So what we now need to do is create a regulatory framework and a fiscal framework that makes business pay for it because they're profiting from it. And if you make business pay for it, then they'll work out a solution to it because they don't want to be charged extra taxes on it. So that's what the plastics tax is, is the first step in doing. And then the rest of it is called extended producer responsibility. And the aim is to get to a sort of polluter pays framework where it's 100% full cost recovery from business. Yeah, brilliant. I'm glad you gave me the reference to that quote, Deborah Orr. I've heard that before, that that phrase. It's, um, it's a powerful phrase, isn't it? So that's, um, I think, one of the, you know, one of the questions that I was I was keen to sort of unpick, you know, and it's probably, again, it's, it's a both kind of question um, as we started at the beginning. What is going to drive the change? Is it the legislation or is it the ideas that people can kind of get behind? I, th- I think it's, it's coming from both angles. There's a huge consumer drive for it. I don't know if consumers necessarily know that they want reusable packaging, but they certainly want a solution to the problem of single-use packaging. They, they want a solution that is, why do I have to deal with all of this plastic waste in my house? This is ridiculous. Why are you selling me products like this? But they also want strawberries in December. So, you know, we all have to take responsibility for the things that might have to change in our lives to, to live differently. But there is a huge, and that obviously happened from the Blue Planet effect and has continued. And it, it's still there. Like the pandemic, the pandemic was hard and the cost of living crisis is also really hard and I'm not naive to that but it's going to be a lot harder for our children and our children's children you know we have a responsibility but you know like as we're seeing with COP27 you know it is extremely hard to get people to care about something that might happen to their children in the future. So I work with a team of designers and I think designers do many great things when you think about design in in very simple terms it's perhaps a process of helping people make choices you know you essentially businesses need to make choices they need to choose you know what materials or technology or or, or, or um, representation of anything that they're moving forward so designers are essentially helping you make choices 
and and I guess designers are able to present what those choices will turn into so you know if you if you if you choose this font it will look like this if you choose this material it could look like this if you choose this system you know it it, it could end up um you know creating these opportunities or these solutions so it, it, is that part of what you're imagining is is part of the process that we need to illustrate what these refill reuse systems could look like could feel like uh, it, it, you know it's almost like you need to play give an example of, of of the benefits and the challenges so that people can visualize these things and see that it's worth then legislating towards yeah so design has been so important to unpackaged since we started so shout out to my design agency which is multi-story so um harry and ronda they came on board right at the beginning because what I realized was when I when I got that £4,800 grant, the amount of that money that we spent on design to get the right design, but also the, I, what, what, do we, what do we call it, collateral materials um, around it to tell the story of what we were doing. So right from the start, they showed me how important it was going to be to convey our message because yes, I was standing behind a market store, but I had to even get people to come to the market store. So they created, well, obviously the name is unpackaged. Um, we went through loads of iterations. Like at one point they, they didn't want to print anything on. They wanted to cut it out because they were trying, they were trying to work with my concept of reducing waste rather than creating waste, you know, through, through materials um I think we decided that was unworkable so we just we ended up but we ended up with a beautiful jar and all of the icons that go with it about this this the process which is you know bring tear label pay and although this might sometimes be forgotten within the modern world of zero waste stores there is a legacy of that design and that simplicity of instructions that lives on through all of the zero all the mini zero waste stores that that exists around the country because we created this five-step process that everybody had even as the like the amount of times I look at even big brands doing refill stuff and think there is a legacy that goes back to Harry and Ronda's original design on that because we clarified it because we were we had to both instruct people on what they want they had to do but we also had to inspire them as to why they would want to do it so my first, after the market store, my first store was in a um, grade two listed dairy in Islington. And it was beautiful, like two pillars, a curved wood and glass door, black and white checkered floor, all of the original marble counter. I mean, it was incredible. And we also couldn't touch half of it because it was all listed. So they, they took to it again with the design of how did we design this really sort of sympathetic shop that fitted into using all of this, these original structures. And then one of the most beautiful things we did is um, because I wanted to be a real community shop and it was in a very residential area is we had an opening party and I said, well, we need some invitations for this opening party. And so they came up with the most beautiful idea. So we all collected cereal packaging for months and then they created these A5 invitations where they, I think we hand foiled, would that be right? With like gold hand foil Boiling on top the invitation with all of the unpackaged logo and the address and the bring your own container and the messaging that we wanted. And they were hand delivered to everyone. And uh, people still send me a picture and they go, oh, I found this at home because they were so beautiful. And just it just shows what you can do with the right design. Like I never wanted unpackaged to look like a dusty, fusty 
hippie shop. I love a hippie shop. I'm a massive hippie and I'm so happy in a hippie shop. But I, the dark green consumer was not my target audience because I knew that they would find me anyway. I wanted to get people who thought that it was preferable to come to my shop than it was to walk up to the Sainsbury's at Angel and come and refill their olive oil. And I knew I was going to do that by making it look beautiful giving them the hospitality and the welcome that they like from a small shop and then selling these incredible products that I bought from, you know, small producers and because I really believe in, in, in good production of food. So it was those concepts. And then that design aspect has stayed with me throughout. So, you know, we've got such a strong brand identity to the point that we've had to protect it a few times uh, from people who've uh, borrowed it, some more air quotes. Um, but yeah, it's really important. And we and the work we do now, we have a visualizer who comes to all our workshops, who when we're working with big supermarkets and big brands about what reuse might look like, we have to have him there because he brings the ideas to life. And once someone can see what, I don't know, a refill truck or some mad concept about reusable packaging for their brand might look like, then they can actually start getting behind it and it becomes something attractive that people want to work towards. So yeah, design has a huge part to play. But I, I worry that it's not sustainability isn't, you know, I don't know anything about design courses, but I have heard it said that sustainability just isn't brought in enough to the teaching environment. So I think anything that could yeah, increase people's understanding of it to, to see it as an opportunity. I do a lot of packaging conferences, which is where you and I met. And I, I always think everyone thinks I'm going to turn up at a packaging conference telling them they haven't got a job anymore. I mean, it's just nonsense. It's just we need to take all of this you know, packaging industry brilliance that we've got in the UK, we just need to turn it into a different thing. We just need to put all of that innovation and cleverness into reusable packaging rather than single-use packaging. Yeah, I think that's the fantastic thing that I've kind of discovered over just, you know, researching this conversation, you know, your talks and and how you, yeah, you, you see that top line unpackaged message, but then actually deep down you get into the detail of it and you realize yeah it's just about taking all these skills we have as designers which we've which we've been monetizing and using in for brands and, and packaging and single-use packaging because that's the economy that supported it but there is a potential of an economy that just that uses the skills in different ways to create wonderful things that are, are reusable which you know which isn't necessarily a new thing we've been reusing things and like you say there's systems out there which are all about reuse like the, the beer kegs and i think you mentioned ifco crates in in supermarkets all those kind of things so that's great to know that's that was a great segue into into sort of the the second part of the conversation or the sort of the, towards the the second point we we would like to discuss is is um the use of design and designers in any kind of business challenge and great to hear that you know you you decided that was something you needed to invest in early on can you give a little bit of context to, to how that came about were you, were you kind of design savvy when you when you got that four grand and did you did you know designers how did you find them and and, and you've been with them for a while and what's kept you together so I have a very good friend who has a group of friends that were all at St Martin's and so they are a very creative bunch and that's where <laughs> that's where uh, I know Harry and Rhonda from and I think when I said to my friend that I was going to set up Unpackage she said oh you should go and talk to them because I knew when my mum had given me the name but I had no idea from having said that I like art I I was for my birthday I got given a I love type so I got I went and did one of those short courses at St Martin's about typography it turns out I don't think I've got a creative bone in my body I think I just had to stick with like like I mean when I when it comes to sort of like physical design like I just 
my brain doesn't think that way. Like I think in words and concepts. I've worked out that that's, that's my happy place. So yeah, I see it as such a skill. So we just hit it off from the start because they asked me the right questions about what I was trying to do with this brand. I think actually we even worked on names. I'm now remembering that we, before we settled on Unpackaged, there were other names that we went through. So they did not just the design, but I guess the brand identity as well. And, you know, they, they, they work for huge brands and, and then they set up Darkroom as well, which was a wonderful interior store that did lots of super stylish items. So yeah, that's just their world. And I was lucky enough to to get access to the world and it's been a really fruitful partnership ever since yeah good good to hear that you, you said it was about them asking the right questions and was that was that were they challenging questions do you think or just about getting on the same wavelength or no no no, definitely because I don't think I knew the answers to a lot of them so they were challenging <laughs> in the sense that they said well how do you feel about this and what do you want to do about that and I was like well I have no idea so they kind of helped me work through it so I guess they made they made the design process less scary in the sense that um, I felt like it was being led by people who knew what they were doing when I clearly didn't. I, I just knew, I knew how I wanted it to feel. So a friend of mine, another friend of mine, who's um, gone on to be very successful in advertising, she used to work a lot in brands and she actually very kindly took me through a brand development process. So we invited some friends of mine around and spent the afternoon and we, we created a brand book out of it. And she took us through loads of really cool exercises to get, the look and feel of the brand and I've still got I remember we made um two sort of boards and one was sort of you know with collages from ripping out things from newspapers and one was sort of everything that the unpackaged brand isn't and then everything that it is and I've still got them and if I go back and look at those boards or if I go look back at the the values that, that, that underpinned that brand 16 years ago they are still front and center now you know it's just it working with these really talented people helped me create a really strong brand identity that actually hasn't really changed much. How we deliver it has changed in the sense it used to be a shop and now we're a consultancy and now we do research. But what sits at the core of it, which is actually about making the unpackaged way or reuse or whatever we want to say, accessible, welcoming, friendly, you know, all of these things that I don't want it to just be for the premium end of the market it's the logical place to start because people have more money it tends to go with the brands that you know organic and natural brands because it's more part of their brand and it's more part of the values that the customer's looking so it's, it's, it's logical it starts that way in the same way that any kind of early adopters will start but what's always been at the heart of unpackaged is how can we make this available for all and this is why we work with the supermarkets because that's how we make it available for all and what I've come to realize with the team that we've got now we've got much more sort of commercial savvy and things. So I used to go in having conversations with big brands and retailers much more from a sustainability angle. Whereas now we actually have a lot of capabilities in-house where we model out the commercials. And now with changing EPR and plastics tax and things, you can actually start to model out the cost savings that will come from moving to reuse. And that totally changes the discussions internally within retailers and brands. So you're not saying this is going to cost you more. You're going to say it it might cost you the same amount and you can pass it on, or it might be cheaper and you can pass on cost savings to your customers, which especially now is really important. So so yeah, so we've just evolved, but at the core of the brand is still the same same values. Yeah. Again, a good a good lesson to hear you say, you know, about, you know, investing in the right team to get those values and principles right first time. So sort of get it, 
do it do it right once and then and then lock it down so much of branding is about <laughs> i was just thinking we got we didn't we got the brand right but we have definitely had to pivot through a lot of different business models the idea has always been the same but to survive over 16 years we've definitely had to go through different business models so that's a bit we didn't necessarily get right but you've got to change with the times you know it's a very different world now than it was in 2006 when we started i can see the times ticking unfortunately and and it's um it's i feel like it's a it's a topic we could really talk to someone that's got you know, <laughs> a genuine design challenge genuinely believes in design is already investing in design it feels like we could we could talk a lot more about that but i, I know we need to sort of draw to a close so but before we get to my closing questions just sort of one last question about your relationship with your design team harry and ronda at multi-story are you still working with them regularly do you do you have a kind of, what's your kind of way of working is it do you have a, a, a retained relationship are they part of the business are they are they sort of project-based how does it work yeah so now we're probably at project-based because the challenge with what we do now so obviously unpackage still has its own identity but what we do now is work through other people's businesses so there is probably less opportunity, although there's, as I say, there's a legacy between a lot of the design now and, and the work that they originally did. There's probably less opportunity for us to bring in our designers to a lot of the projects that we do. Um, so we still work together on unpackaged projects. But I guess one of the changes with being consultants into other people's businesses, especially of the size that we're working with now, is they have their own designs team and and very strict ideas about what they're what they will and won't do when it comes to design so I would always bring them in where possible but at the minute it tends to be less possible okay and you refer to them as our designers so that they're external a third party but you actually they, they feel like part of your team yeah we're family we feel like family because as I say they they have been part of the the identity was so important because that whole idea of making a really attractive shop and a really attractive brand was absolutely key to the success of Unpackage in the early days when we were running our own operations. So yeah, uh, it's conversations I've had with uh, with many sort of entrepreneurs and successful startups, scale ups. You know, people that have realized the value of design. You know, and, and built it into their team. You know, so much so I've pitched, <laughs> I've pitched for work, and they've said, "Look, we love you guys, but we're never going to work with you because we've got our own team. We believe in it so much. We've got our own team." And I think that's perhaps one one of our missions is, you know, is is to make design so important that everyone builds it into their team from from the ground up and but until that day they might need a consultancy so we're around yeah do you know what actually the format of unpackaged um we have a group of external companies that we work with because that's actually a personal thing for me is i don't want to run big teams because i actually like doing the work so my idea of hell would be not doing any work and just managing other people doing all the work. So, so actually it suits me very well. We have a very lean team within Unpackaged and then we have a load of trusted partners that we work with who we bring in and out on different projects. And actually that's, I'm not very hierarchical. So I like working with people on the same level. So actually for me, bringing in external people and I just work horizontally with them actually is just how I want to work but um but yeah it doesn't un it doesn't undermine how important I think it is it's just that's how I run this business good to understand that there's different people with different kind of ways they like to work some people might want to build a team from the ground up and some people might yeah like to get experts in at their level good stuff well thanks so much for for, for the conversation I feel like we've only just scratched the surface in terms of your challenge and, and really interesting to understand how you work with 
design teams and, and sort of potential there. So, so that's fantastic. Thanks so much. I've just got a couple of questions just to close, if if that's okay. Um, and they're kind of more more general, just in terms of you as a person and and your kind of motivating yourself, keeping yourself going, and, and sort of keeping uh, your your projects moving forward. I was interested in what perhaps is the best advice you feel like you've been given, or what your mantra might be, sort of day to day. Oh God, just keep going. I mean... <laughs> don't give up. Yeah, yeah, don't give up. But I think that's the social entrepreneur side of me which is the problem is so big um but there was there was a series of Barack Obama documentaries I feel like he commissioned them they were definitely very complimentary towards him and, and as they should be because he is amazing uh but I remember in one of them he made I think it was all to do and I, I'm not aligning myself I'm just saying that there, it was just an interesting thing that's always stuck in my head were, I think they were talking about you know his responsibility being the first black president and he said something, and I don't know if it was a quote from somebody else, but there was something about all his job was to do was to turn the cog forwards. And I think that really helped me because I kept thinking, I've got to solve the problem. And you can't just, you, you'll go, you'd go mad trying to think that you could, you could solve everything. And it's also slightly egotistical as well. Um, but actually what helps me is thinking is like our job at Unpackaged is just to do what we can do to really just shift that cog forwards more. And then there will be other people in other areas um, and people who come behind us who will shift it more and differently and probably better and brilliant. And, and so I think the thing that keeps me going is thinking that all I can do is get up every day and just try and shift that cog forwards a little bit. Yeah, that's good, actually. Yeah, very helpful. Thank you. And then last question, I guess, is, are you reading or listening to or watching anything that you uh, might want to share with our listeners in terms of something you found is inspiring or, or just interesting or unusual? Uh, yes. Well, we did when we were chatting about this before. I did tell you that I have a love of absolute trash only because I spend my life worrying about all of the big problems of the world. Um, so I love Adam Buxton's podcasts and I love it for all of its silliness, but also he does some really clever people on there. Uh, he did the lady who wrote surveillance capitalism, which is that really important theory about, you know, how we are all the product of all of these social media. His one of his recent ones is the amazing economist whose name I am now going to try and find out. She is called I want to say she's called Mariana Matsukatu, um, but I will. Can we find that out? And maybe you can edit it in in some way. Put it in the put it in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's an absolutely brilliant economist, but she talks, the reason I think it's interesting for your listeners is she talks a lot about innovation and the best way to make innovation happen and system change. Um, and it's just an absolutely brilliant podcast. So that's one of his most recent ones. So I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, great tip. I, I love Adam Buxton. And I think I listened to a chat called John Higgs recently, who was pretty cool. He's sort of a, a, a cultural commentator, but he also had quite a strong view on, you know, something that you mentioned, you know, that the, the seeing the world and all its big problems but also seeing the positivity of, of all the progress we're making so i think that was a really nice thing so yeah yeah his adam curtis one is also really good um the filmmaker adam curtis there's another podcast actually uh, which we were on which is reasons to be cheerful which is ed Miliband and is it jeff lloyd um and they're oh my god the people i keep asking them to do an event where they get together all of the people that they've interviewed because i i swear you could save the world with just putting them all in one room um but just they take a topic every week and invite a couple of people on to talk about it so i did the single use plastics one with um uh friends of the earth um but yeah just the amount of people on there 
doing amazing things, you know, whether they're working with knife crime or, you know, mental health or just all of these things. And you just you just remember that just up and down the land are just people working their socks off, not in any high profile way, but just within their communities doing incredible things also to shift the cog one step forward. So, um, yeah, that's a really good podcast as well great to end on those two points yeah pushing the cog forward and um yeah some uh, reasons to be cheerful so yeah thanks a lot and thanks so much for your time Catherine. it's a pleasure thank you for having me uh we will uh we'll put some um, notes and some links to uh to your to your work and your projects in the in the in the show notes and um we'll follow what you're doing it's great work very impressive to kind of understand uh the the, the, the um the challenges and the opportunities there so thanks uh for introducing to introducing that to us and um keep up the good work uh, such a pleasure thanks for having me all right bye for now bye okay sorry it's not bye for now okay it's episode two and i've made my first big mistake this podcast is called every dimension demand more from design so one of our go-to questions will always be if you could demand designers deliver you the solution to any problem and anything is possible which problem would you choose to solve? So I was enjoying the conversation and the time was ticking and I forgot to ask Catherine. However, she has kindly emailed the answer and allowed me to quote her now. So she says, I would ask designers to turn their considerable talents to solving the challenge of reusable packaging systems. So not just a nicely designed reusable container, but to actually think about the whole system of reuse how products are transported through the chain from producer to retailer to the end user and back again in a way that is compelling for all parts of the supply chain. Thank you, Catherine. It's a great answer and something all designers listening can give some thought to. Also, while I'm here, you pretty much guessed it right. Um, Adam Buxton had... Uh, the Italian-American professor of economics, Mariana Matsukatu, and that was episode 185 um, of his podcast. Um, also, Surveillance Capitalism was by Shoshana Zuboff, episode 106. Uh, I mentioned John Higgs, that's episode 182, all of the Adam uh, Buxton podcast. And finally, Adam Curtis was episode 44 um, and reasons to be cheerful which we mentioned will pop in a link in the show notes so um, yeah apologies for that mistake and hopefully um, you got all the information now thanks see you next time you have been listening to every dimension brought to you by path join in the conversation on linkedin using the hashtag every dimension or on instagram at we are path For more information on how we design brands better in every dimension, please visit wearepath.com forward slash every dimension. Here you'll find all our other podcasts and 20 years of experience helping brands diagnose opportunities and challenges, then designing identity, experience and innovation to deliver on them. This podcast is created and produced by Path. If you have enjoyed this podcast, why not leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes? Thank you.